to the Finance and Tech Podcast. I'm your host and Chief Finance Techie, Simon Ritchie. This is the show where we dive into all things technology for finance teams. I interview other finance techies, finance leaders, and industry legends who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build and grow a career in finance. In this podcast, we're joined by Brent Dykes, Brent is the author of an amazing book called Effective Data Storytelling. He actually started out his career in marketing. Marketeers have lots of data at their fingertips, so he got pulled into the world of data analytics. For the last two decades, he's worked with prominent vendors such as Omniture, Adobe, and Domo. He's consulted with industry leaders like IKEA, Nike, Microsoft, Sony, He is currently the founder of his own data storytelling consultancy, Analytics Hero. He regularly writes for Forbes, is a speaker at major industry conferences like Web Summit, and has even received industry awards in the space. In this episode, we dive into data storytelling for finance teams. What is data storytelling and when is it relevant? We talk about the difference between reporting and data storytelling, and how there is a place for both. We also talk about what Brent calls the data analytics marathon and why he believes that most teams give up before the end of the race, quitting without collecting their medal. We discuss the right tech stack to get started and some exciting new technologies that are coming along. Also, why Brent thinks that AI is a good co-pilot for data storytelling but he would hold back on putting on autopilot right now. Brent is an amazing guest and he shares his insights freely and it's fantastic. It's real gold for finance teams. I hope you enjoy. So thanks so much, Brent, for joining us today. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Awesome. So maybe could you just give us a quick uh, overview on your journey and your background so far? Yeah, so I I was originally uh, studying both, uh, I was studying business administration. I was probably going down the path to going into accounting. And, and but I also had this passion for marketing. And so I had to make a decision, you know, do I go with, which one do I choose? And I, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to go with marketing, which at the time there really wasn't a lot of data in marketing. Or if you went into market research, as one professor said, it's the amount. It's the way to make the the least amount of money in marketing. Um, so, I I went into marketing and then did my MBA, and then that's what got me into analytics. And so, I worked for a company called Omniture, uh, which is kind of if you're familiar with Google Analytics, it's basically an enterprise version of Google Analytics at the time, yeah. called uh, Omniture Site Catalyst, and and then we were acquired by Adobe. And and so that really got me into the data world. I was I was working with a lot of Fortune 500 companies as a uh, analytics consultant, business consultant, uh, kind of working on their measurement strategies and and doing analysis and reporting and and all those good things. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's what really got me into the world of, of data analytics. And then I went on to work for uh, after 12 years at Omniture slash Adobe. I was then. Uh, working at Domo, so I got into the BI space for four years, and then I, yeah, and then ever, and then I worked for an agency after Domo for about a year and a bit, and then the last two plus years I've been doing my own kind of consulting around data storytelling. Yeah, yes, fantastic. Um, and you read a book. You wrote a book. I've got it here. Yeah, 
I've been going through it. I'm loving it. Called the effective data story. Called effective data storytelling. Um, what led to the book? I'd love to know that. Yeah. So when I was at Adobe, I I really saw like a, a need to kind of communicate insights and and different observations to audiences more effectively. And I think myself and, and other consultants kind of struggled with this. I saw clients struggling in this area and, and it was something that I really got passionate about. So this is back in 2013 or so. And, and so then I pitched to the, uh, the Adobe summit conference. So we'd have this annual conference inviting in all of our customers. And I said, I'd really like to do a breakout session on data storytelling. And so yeah. Uh, pitched the concept. They said, sure, we'll do it. And end up being one of the top uh, most popular sessions at the Definitely. conference. And so, yeah. yeah, that's when I knew I was onto something. And, and so then I, I, I did another follow-up the next year. And, and then I was going to do a third follow-up the third year before I actually went, joined a different company at that point. Uh, yeah. But I, every year I, I would do a, a session on this. And then I started presenting on it at other conferences and I'd have, People come to, come up to me and say, "Hey, I loved your content. You know, do you have a book, or is there a book you'd recommend?" And and so, you know, I I, I realized, okay, I I need to write about this. This is something I need to do. That's and then, cool. yeah, that's kind of what got me down this path of writing a book. Yeah, that's awesome. And I applaud you because that is a lot of work, and you've put a lot of a lot of energy into this. So um, so so yeah, I'm loving it. Um, just before we get into the topic for, for today and really dive into data storytelling, um, do you have one of my favorite questions to ask is, do you have a power pose memory, basically an, a, a, um, a, mo a memorable moment or a story, something that you're particularly proud of where you wanted to stand up and do a power pose? I, I'm not really that kind of like a, a per that's kind of like not really my personality, but um uh, <laughs> One one memory that I have is when I was it was just before I published my book. Okay. I, I was working for a company and and they had me they brought me out to Web Summit. So if you're probably oh, yeah. in in, yeah. in EU, you know Web Summit. Yeah. It's a pretty yeah. big conference. You know, it was in Portugal. Yeah. Um, and, and so I was doing a breakout session uh, at Web Summit. So it was like a 45 minute session on data storytelling. And the day before or the day of when I was getting ready to go there. Uh, there was a huge lineup to go in. Like there was more people than like than what could fit in this room. And so one of the one of the guys from our team that I was from the company I was working for took this video where he started at the start of the line and just followed it as it kind of like you know it's just this long queue that just went on and on and on and on forever. There's no way that everybody was getting in the room, uh, but it, it was. You know, it was very, it felt really good that, you know, yeah. they sent it back to the corporate office and said, hey, Brent Sedgwin is, you know, super popular and, yeah. you know, and, and so that was just a proud moment. And that was even before I published my book. So yeah, just, wow. just again, just to go again, to know that, you know, this was a topic that people cared about and yeah. interested in and, and that, you know, it, it was something that. That, that that made me proud that moment. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Stand, standing room only at, an, at exactly. an event at Web Summit. That's that's awesome. Congrats. That's cool. So let's jump into data storytelling a bit. So um, I absolutely love the book. I've been going through it. Um, I love how um, you kind of help to help sort of structure. And what I thought was relevant for finance people, which is the audience of this podcast, is 
really, um, and for my education, I did accounting and finance degree. I did a chartered management accountant. No one really ever told, taught me, or I didn't, I don't remember being taught how to tell a story um, around data. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, te- they teach you how to add up numbers and which numbers to add up and how to get your accounts to balance and all that stuff, but nothing about data. So what I loved in the book is you're really, it's all about how to create that narrative with data. You talk about three pillars of storytelling. Um, the data is the foundation, the narrative. You even talk about story arcs and mm-hmm. kind of with your, um, your, um, your suggestion of the data storytelling arc, which I love. Yeah. And then, then you jump into visuals as well um, and the kind of pros and cons, good and bad visuals, um, what's misleading, um, what's the right thing to use, which when to use uh, certain types of visuals. So really, really enjoying it. Um, what, in your words, would you say finance people should think about when it comes to data storytelling? Yeah, I mean, probably one of the most important things is to recognize when it's an opportunity to tell a data story. When do you need to tell a data story? You don't always need to tell data stories. That might be surprising some people. You know, you hear from a, a guy who's evangelizing the power of data storytelling uh-huh. to expect him to say, well, every every situation you should be telling data stories. And I would say, no, that's not the case. Sometimes you're just passing along information. There may not be a story. There's just, you know, here's an answer. You, you wanted to know this about the company, or the, this about this particular part of the business, and here's the answer: forty-two. Yeah. You know, that's it. No, nope. nothing, nothing surprising, nothing shocking, nothing earth-shattering. Yeah. Just that's the number: forty-two. That's the answer. Um, and, and so that's you know that's a part of it. So it's really I I in my book I talk about the story zone, and, and so there's really and I've I've kind of updated it recently. Um, so in the book it's a little bit different, but very still very pretty close to what what I say now. So if you think about a, a matrix, right? So you, on one axis, you have the value of the information you're sharing, the value of the insight to the business. So if it's a high value insight or medium to high value, okay, that's the first criteria, that, that there's something of value here. It's, it's important to the company. Uh, it's important that they understand it, they understand its significance. So that's the first thing. And then the other criteria I would summarize now that it's basically the level of resistance that you have to that insight. Mm-hmm. And so on that case, if it's high resistance, and it could be high resistance for different reasons, it could be because people don't want to change. You know, it's we've been doing something a certain way for a long time, and now you're telling us to completely change our supply chain or completely change our, um, you know, our, our training policy or whatever it is that we've identified that's the insight. Uh, it could be it could be resistance because it's complicated. It could be resistance because it's unpleasant. You know, nobody likes bad news. Nobody really likes you know hearing that oh we're gonna have to let go of some people or different things like that. So whenever there's going to be resistance to either understanding or accepting the information, uh, that's those are those moments when we have to tell a data story because. There's too much riding on it, and we know there's going to be some resistance. Now, in other cases, many other data communications, there's no resistance. You know, kind of like that earlier version. The answer is 42. Yeah. Okay, great. You know, I have there's no right. nothing attached to that. There's no. I just need to know that answer so we can make a decision and yeah. move forward. And and there's no. You know, it's straightforward. There's no. It's not counterintuitive. There's there's nothing there. It's not disruptive. Yeah. Um, so those, that's the key thing. I think that would be the first thing. 
recognizing when and where you need to tell stories and maybe those situations where it's not critical that you tell a story. Yeah, amazing. So if we if we get into it, what's um, what would you say? What like what is data storytelling, and what isn't data storytelling? Yeah, I, I kind of define it as a uh, it, it's basically a, a way to bring together those three things that I talked about. So data being the foundation, right? So that's the first thing you you're basing a story not just on hey uh, you know my opinion or I've you know come I, I thought of something creative. No, this is this is we're, we're basing it on data. So there's data that's underlying uh, the story that we're telling, and then we're using combining those insights or observations with a, a narrative element, uh, and and that goes beyond just uh, language or text around the 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 data points. It goes into the actual structure of how we structure a data story uh, using that that story arc or the storyline. Uh, that threads through what could be multiple uh, slides or, or mm. sections in a report, uh, and then and then the last thing being the visuals. Often now, you could argue that you don't always need to have visuals, uh, and I would agree with that. Maybe when I was writing the book, I, I wasn't as uh, aware of this, but you know, if you look at a lot of podcasts out there, data podcasts or even just very informational podcasts, sometimes they're telling data stories. Without a single visualization, wow. uh, you know, and they're and they're sharing uh, statistics and data and, and weaving that in a narrative uh, structure. Uh, but the reason why visuals are frequently important is because we're dealing with a lot of complex data. Uh, it's it's harder for people to kind of you know you know you could give them one statistics and they can kind of process it. But if there's uh, you know there's context that's needed or you need to share multiple numbers or just Showing trends or anomalies, you know, and, and really un understanding the significance and 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 how unique they are, uh, that can be harder when you're just describing them rather than showing people, right? So a lot of times, I, I kind of talk about how when we take that uh, spreadsheet of numbers and, and columns and rows of data, and we actually visualize it, that's where we can enlighten the audience because they can actually see the patterns, they can see the trends, they can see. Oh wow! This anomaly. This really is an anomaly compared to everything else that's happening in the data. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's just talk a little bit. So in in our finance world, we deal with a lot of reporting, especially mm -hmm. on a cadence, weekly reports, monthly reports, reports that go off to the government, etc. Right. So how would you delineate between reporting and maybe data storytelling? Yeah, and that's actually um, something I'll I'll be writing a blog post about. It'll probably be out by the time this this podcast is released. But I look at it as one of the key differences between data storytelling and reporting. So if we start with just basic reporting, uh, basic reporting, you're going to have a bunch of areas of the business that you're going to be looking at, and usually those sections of your report don't change. Right? You're going to look at the same metrics, the same dimensions, yeah. over and over each each month or each week, whatever it is. And sometimes there may be something interesting in one of those sections. Maybe maybe everything's working as expected. There's really nothing unusual, nothing that stands out. Uh, and so the report each each uh, period is going to change. There may be different things that stand out or change. Now, a, a level up from that that I talk about uh, is narrative reporting. So narrative reporting, I see it as 
adding in some context and some interpretation on top of those reports. So if there is an anomaly, is if maybe there's an interesting pattern going on in one of those sections, uh, you call it out. You know, you say, hey, look, our sales are going up 30%, you know, uh, week over week for the last three weeks. That's an interesting trend. Hmm. Um, oh, you see this spike? Well, let me explain what that spike. It's really nothing because what happened was, you know, we launched our, our new product on that day. So we had a lot of, you know, interest and in everything, but really that that's, you know, that to explain that spike, that's what happened, right? So we yeah. add in the context, we add in some interpretation. Um, but the key thing, the difference between narrative reporting and data storytelling is that with data storytelling, we are focusing on a specific insight. Uh, and, and if you look at a report, right, our, our goal is to kind of report uh, on each of those sections, regardless of what's happening. You know, we're, we're very comprehensive and consistent in how we're sharing the information. Whereas with a data story, we we actually don't want to necessarily focus on sections where there's nothing really going on, right? We want to focus on the story and dive really deeply into what's potentially causing it and what actions we need to take. So the difference between a data story and in, in, in a narrative report, let's say, is that the narrative report will still cover all of the sections regardless. It's not going to drop a section because nothing was happening there. Nothing unusual was happening. Uh, whereas with a data story, why would we talk about sections or areas of the business that aren't really core to that particular story, right? We're going to tell that, we're going to share that insight. We're going to dive into it deeply. We're going to help get from just the what to the why. Yeah. And so we're removing content that's not aligned with that story. And, and the structure of, of the data story is the structure of a story arc, right? So we're taking them, we're, we're sharing it as a story, yeah. not as a report. A report, you know, is just going to, it's got its hierarchy or its, its structure around those sections. And, and so that's, that's the difference that, that, yeah. that there's, you know, and, and, and I think that's what could happen is you could have the start of a story, right? You could see some, some make some observation in the data and yeah. say, oh, wow, like our sale, you know, let's take that example of the three, three periods in which the, the sales were increasing. Well, why are they increasing? What's going on? Like, what, you know, that's, that's kind of catching us off guard. Like, is there something causing that? You know, if we if we better understood what was causing that increase in sales, maybe we could double down on it and, and really, you know, blow it up. Um, so a data story would say, you know, if we analyzed it, we found, oh, wow, there's this new feature that we introduced a while ago into our product and customers or new customers, prospects are just loving it. And we didn't even realize that it was it, to us, it wasn't even a big deal. We're not promoting it in our marketing materials. We're not really highlighting it to our existing customers, uh, you know, and, and so that could be an opportunity. And we tell a story about that new feature and, and, and what do we do about it? You know, hey, let's, let, let's invest more engineering time in, in really exploring that, that feature because it was just kind of like a throw-in feature and it's yeah. really re resonating with prospects. In our marketing materials, let's make some changes. Let's let's really promote that feature going forward instead of um, prospects who already knew about it. Let's let's tell all of our prospects about the feature and how great it is. Yeah. Um, but that's that's kind of the difference. And there is a, a linkage between reporting and 
storytelling. It's just they have they serve very different functions. Different needs. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense now. The, the way you describe that is you need both. You need reports that mm-hmm. will help you surface observations that may not be, you know, in in view on your top level dashboard. So you kind of right. you know you know you look through them and you catch key observations. I like your distinction between observations and insights as well. Where yeah. like I, can, I can observe something and then I might ask somebody to dive really deep in and then come right. back and um, and report on it or give me a, a data story or you know, tell me what's going on. That, that's something that I've really um, even, you know, started in the book, but ever since the book, I've really harped on the importance of distinguishing between observations and insights, because I think I, you know, I'm more on the analytics side, the data world, I'm sure in finance, you, you guys probably use the word insight very loosely as well. <laughs> and, and, and that's, that's a problem because what do we do? We're diluting the power of that word. When we, right. when we call an observation an insight, and, and I see that repeatedly happen at, at different companies that I interact with, um, that, that can cause some confusion around what, what really are insights. And when I was writing my book, I had some reviewers. So this is before the book was published. I had some book reviewers who were giving me feedback on the different chapters. And, and a couple of them said, hey, you mentioned the word insights a lot in your book, but you haven't really defined what an insight is. And you probably should do that. And I was like, oh, yeah, no problem. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just put in a quick definition in the first chapter. We'll call it good. And then as I started, yeah, like then as I started thinking about it, I was like, oh, I use the word a lot, but have I really given thought to what it means? What is an insight? Uh-huh. And, and then I was, I was struggling with a definition. And then I looked at the dictionary definitions and I was like, oh, they're just not quite right. And then I, and then somebody recommended to me a, a definition that was done by Gary Klein, who's a psychologist and author. And, and he, he basically defined it as it's, it's an unexpected shift in the way we understand things. And for me, that was so concise, so to the point, and it really helped me to kind of think, yeah, that's, that's what an insight is. It's like when we have an existing understanding or viewpoint or assumption about how our customers interact with us or how our, this process works or this program performed. And then all of a sudden we get data that, conf- that kind of contradicts our perception. Yeah. You know, and that's really what an insight is like, oh, my gosh, you know, it's kind of go back to that example I shared earlier. It's like, oh, my gosh, we, we had no idea that this feature would be so impactful to our, our prospects and customers. And then now we're like going through all the changes that need to happen to introduce that and, and to embrace that that insight. And, and insights can be disruptive, you know, yeah. but they can also be highly valuable because if you realize like, Oh, I've been, you know, let's say I've been studying this way for tests and I, I get B's every time, you know, and then all of a sudden we find, you know, we get an A on one test and we, we it's because we changed the style, the, the approach that we had to studying. Yeah. And now it's like, oh my gosh, like this could be huge. I can apply this to all of my classes. Yeah. And now, you know, maybe I'm going up to, you know, getting A's in all of my classes now. That's, that's disruptive. That's powerful. You know, yeah. and that's, that's an insight. Yeah, amazing. Um, in in finance, and re- when we're doing reporting, we're often dealing with summarized data that's gone mm-hmm. into the accounting system. So one of the questions I I, I, lo- I wanted to ask was really about like how do you how do you um, what what in what information do you need and how do you uh, really help to you know tell a story around that 
um, and you know how would you go how would you go about diving right down into like a PNL some sort of high level variance and then where would you go from there? Yeah, I mean, I I think that probably the most important thing is to put context around those numbers. You know, why are we seeing these changes? Why what's contributing to what we're seeing in in the different uh, numbers that we're seeing in the PNL? Uh, and so that's where uh, mastering the ability to use context is really important. I think for finance people or for anybody really. Yeah. Um, so when we're seeing these numbers, you know, what do they compare to? You know, are are we comparing them to other areas of the business? Maybe we find that there's a region of the business that's outperforming all the other regions, you know, and, and, and so that we put that number in perspective, we say, you know, and basically we could look at it, let's compare it to other regions yeah. or we could start to get into historical. How's that region typically performed, mm. you know, year over year, you know, it, it, you know, if we look at that same time period last year, boom, wow, it's a huge change, you know, and then we, and we start to dig into those. Oh, look, we have a new leader. Uh, the leader, there was a, a new leader introduced and she's just rocked it. You know, she's just implemented a bunch of new um, policies and changes and hiring and all those things. And wow, you know, we can see the impact that she's had on that region yeah. as a regional leader. Uh, other things, you know, we can we can take the numbers, we can scale them up or down. We can say, well, let's look at this performance. If this region continues to perform as it's performing over the next four quarters, we can expect yeah. to see growth in this region by X percent. You know, again, we're kind of forecasting here. We're kind of predicting, um, you know, there's also informational area, informational context. So the informational context I've already kind of given it that we have this new hire, this new leader, you know, and she's leading the change. But then we can dig deeper into what are those programs and policies and uh, decisions that she's making that we can then apply to other regions and, and maybe help those other regions perform like her region is performing. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways in which the context can be brought in. And I think that's a really, that's, that's powerful. When, when you can go beyond just the typical reports and those high level summarized metrics and dig into what's really going on and why they're occurring, that's where you, you, you become a strategic advisor, not just a, a data provider. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so let's jump in. I, we, we were chatting about this and um, I was really interested in this concept of like the data analytics marathon. And I and I thought it was it was great because I when I was when I was building reports, shipping out reports to leaders around the business, um, I would spend so much time. Oh, they would normally ask me, like, how, how long is it going to take? And I would, or I'd tell my boss, OK, I need a bit of time to do this thing. It would always take a, a lot longer than that. Maybe it's just my mm -hmm. terrible um, my terrible sizing. Um, I'm always over optimistic. Take way longer, and then by the time the I data is always going to be clean, right? When you first yeah. get into it, the data. Oh, you're making the assumption data is clean. Yeah, you know, and, then, and then you get into it, and then you're like, oh my gosh, not yeah. so clean. Yeah, absolutely. So then, so by the time I'm done, like it's been a, a you know, a, I've completely blown my opportunity, my window to actually write anything down, um, and so I end up just sending a you know, boring table of data. And I don't think I never really felt like I was doing as much as I could. So, um, so I'd love to know what you think of what you thought these thoughts are. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I wrote uh, an article just for the people on the podcast um, called the analytics marathon. So it's a Forbes article and it's been really popular. I think it's re really, really resonated with a lot of people. And one of the, one of the things that I try and point out through that article is that I think a lot of companies 
are not finishing the analytics marathon. And they really don't have a vision for really completing the race. And in, in I view, if you finish the race, like let's just look at it. My wife actually just competed in a marathon over the weekend. And what did she get from winning her race? I mean, obviously there's the, uh, you know, the intrinsic kind of like, you know, you feel good about yourself and everything, but she gets a medal, right? Everybody who finishes the bed, the finish line gets a medal. If you don't finish the, if you don't cross the finish line, you don't get a medal. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't matter how long you trained or if you ran 26 miles and you just didn't do that la the last 0.2 miles, yeah. uh, you don't get a medal. I'm sorry. You know, and, and, and I feel like what's happening is I think a lot of the companies are putting in, investing a lot of time and effort to collect data, to mm. prepare data so that it's usable in reports and dashboards. They build those dashboards, they visualize the information, and then there's a, a drop-off. And uh, in, in, in the drop-off that I see, the first point uh, where I see uh, very few companies really investing in is, is doing actual analysis. So they kind of say, hey, here's here's the report or here's the dashboard. We're good. What's the next product? So it's like you're you're getting like a lot of the way through the marathon, but then you say, you're, you're saying, okay, we're done. Yeah. And, and you say, let's go run. Let's still go. Let's go start running another marathon. It's like, but yeah. you didn't get the medal. You didn't. Yeah. What, and, and so the first thing is to analyze the data, to find insights, then yeah. to be able to, and then the data, you know, the data communication or the data storytelling comes in because you want to then communicate those insights in a, persuasive and engaging way so that people, decision makers, oh, wow, like, oh, we really need to improve this area. We need to, oh, there's an opportunity over here. Uh, and then actually act on those insights, you know, and only when we act on those insights and actually drive value from them, that's mm -hmm. when we get the medal. That's, that's when we get the value and the medal from all of this analytics work that we're doing or this reporting or finance work that we're doing, uh, you know, unless we're actually acting on that information, uh, we're not going to be driving real value from, from all of these efforts that proceed. Right? And so, you know, obviously there's a lot of work goes into collecting the data, um, yeah. you know, making sure that it's usable, you know, preparing it and, and visualizing. That's all important work, but that's not the end of the race. And that's, that's the point that I try to get across to people. If you're just, if you're just producing dashboards and reports, uh, you're leaving, you know, it's the last mile, as I talked about in the, in the article, it's, you know, you're not finishing that last mile. Yeah. And, and that's got to happen. Yeah, they're 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 leaving the race without their medal. You know, right? Who, who would do that? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so let's chat. I, you know, I love to talk about technology in this podcast. So let's just talk a little bit. I'd love to get your thoughts on maybe not um, specific vendors, but you know, what mm -hmm. sort of technology should finance teams should people be thinking about when it comes to data storytelling? What's um, what's what, what key technology should be should they have? Yeah, I mean, to get started with data storytelling today, all you need is really basic tools. You just need whatever your presentation software is mm -hmm. and a basic, uh, you know, tool like Excel. Like we don't even have to make this much more complicated than than Excel. So if you if you're analyzing in Excel, you have data in Excel, and then how do we present that? You know, typically I would see that being in a in a presentation. So yeah. really, you only need the ubiquitous uh, Microsoft uh, tools. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Beyond that, um, you know, that's that's the low barrier there. You can go beyond that. There's obviously much more complicated analysis tools. You can do statistical knowledge analysis packages. You've got, uh, and again, it depends on what type of data you're analyzing. Mm -hmm. um, but but there's lots of 
packages out there, lots of tools to visualize the data in different ways. Uh, but really, I, I feel like the key thing is just doing whatever helps you to do analysis and then whatever helps you to communicate that, your findings of your analysis. And you really don't need complex tools uh, beyond just the basics that you get out of most. Most companies have the basics to get started. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Nice. And then let's jump forward. So let's say that you are a, you're a data analyst. You've been doing it for a while. Um, you've got some great tools. I'd love to know your thoughts on what is new right now that that is quite you find quite interesting that you think is something that 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 you know an expert should grab hold of to make them more efficient. Or right. uh, you know, is there anything top, topical right now in your world? I mean, I, I, this is probably for every every tool is just AI, right? So the yeah. ability to introduce AI into this process now. Some people get kind of say, oh, hey, we can just have the machines or the algorithms tell us stories. And there's many vendors out there that will tell you that, oh, yeah, our tool has automated data storytelling. And sure. now the key problem here that I see is we have to make sure that our stories are meaningful to our audience. Yeah. Uh, it's not just about taking, you know, sharing, hey, this went up 3% and, oh, and this went up, you know, 15% and this went down 10% up this region down. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's like, okay, well that's, that, that's great. But is there a story behind it? If there's no story behind it, then who cares? And, yeah. and you have to be careful. Like you, you can automate uh, data storytelling and, and then you can start churning out all of these. Uh, really they're just observations. They're re mm. really not insights. Yeah. Uh, and then that's, that's a problem because all of a sudden people are going to be bombarded with like, Here's another, yeah, you know, no. and I, I see this all the time where an observation is being labeled as an insight. You know, I'm getting a hundred insights a week, but none of them are useful to me. None of them tell me what to do. None of them are actionable. None of them are meaningful. I don't, I don't even care about half of them because they're not related to my goals or the objectives I'm trying to solve. Uh, and so that's the danger that we start automating storytelling. Yeah. And then the stories are worthless to the people that we share them with. So that's where I like the human intervention. I like because we, we understand uh, the audience, what's important to their goals, their priorities. And those priorities and goals shift. You know, they could shift month to month, week, period to period. Yeah. Based on what's happening in the marketplace, what's happening at the company. Uh, and then and then being able to then bring in that context that sometimes doesn't live in the tools that the, you know, the automations are being part the algorithms are running against. Yeah. So knowing the context, like, oh yeah, that's when this competitor announced this new product. We don't have that data in our data systems. We can't, you know, or, or this is, uh, this is a, an anomaly in the data, but it was because we were double counting. It was, it was so it was a, an error and yeah. we can't back that out of our systems now. And now we've got, uh, you know, the computer or the algorithms are comparing the, those numbers against a bad set of data. So anyway, so we as human beings can dive in. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm anti-artificial intelligence. I see lots of ways. I'm more on the augmentation yeah. um, side of it, that, that using that technology, and I'm really excited about how it can augment my ability to find anomalies, yeah. to, to, you know, kind of streamline maybe some of the, the messaging and, and tightening up how I talk about things, um, you know, there, I think there's lots of ways in which 
uh, AI can complement what we're doing as storytellers. Yeah. Uh, I just think I'm not ready to hand over the keys to machines yeah. to do the storytelling because I'm worried about how they may uh, dilute or confuse people. And then all of a sudden now they no longer trust me or my team to tell actual stories. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So, so AI as the co-pilot, not right. autopilot. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I like it. Um, and then like, I'm, I'm really passionate about planning and forecasting and budgeting and some of the conversations that go on there are challenging. There's lots of data. It's a lot about future. And you've got leaders in there who have their thoughts around specific assumptions that they might have, et cetera. Um, how, do you think data storytelling is relevant in the context of planning, budgeting? Uh, you know, what, we, what, what do you think? Absolutely. I mean, you know, think about the resistance, like you, you talked about that, you know, that leaders have certain opinions about what's going to happen or how things are going to play out. Yeah. And then maybe you're, maybe you're modeling, you know, your, your forecasts and predictions actually mm -hmm. don't support that opinion. Yeah. So now you have that, you have that, you're in the story zone yeah, because yeah, the executive is going to be resistant to that new information because they have opinion, they have experience, yeah. they have a gut, a gut instinct that's telling them the opposite. And yeah. here you are, you have the data, you have the evidence to, to yeah. show them that, that that's not correct. Now, obviously different audiences are going to have, some are going to be more close-minded, some are going to be more open-minded yeah. if you bring the evidence and you communicate it in an effective way. Uh, you know, there's there's studies out there that show that that storytelling can be one of the few ways in which we can actually break down those barriers and open up people's minds to potentially considering an alternative um, perspective. And, and, and so that's 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 a key way. So as we're doing our planning, we're doing our forecasting, you know, basically have a bunch of what if scenarios and and being able to kind of like tell the story behind those and support you know what the potential future could look like um supported by data i think that is a great way to go and so i think yeah storytelling definitely is can play into the forecasting and in planning kind of world fantastic nice awesome um i suppose to maybe just jump into a couple of like your um you know personal uh questions personal observations personal lessons so um, I, in writing the book, you've spent a long time uh, coming, uh, uh, you know, writing down your thoughts, and I'm sure that you've been out there and not everybody's agreed with them. Um, or, you know, how throughout your career, how have you dealt with sometimes failures or setbacks that come? How do you kind of pick yourself up? Have you got an approach? Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's something that I could I could think about. I mean, one of the one of the things that uh, you know, sometimes people don't fully understand uh, something. And, yeah. and so I've always, I've, I've, I've worked in consulting a lot. And yeah. so consulting has taught me some, some good lessons in the sense that you can't give up, like you may phrase a question a certain way with a client, right? And you're trying to get information from the clarity around yeah. the project or aspect of the project. And they don't answer the question the right way. And, and, and I think what consulting taught me is, okay, well, it's kind of like, you know, you, you kind of come in with an approach and then mm -hmm. you back it up and you say, well, let's come in from a different approach, you know, and, 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 and keep trying. I, I know that I need this information. And, yeah. uh, you know, the first one or two attempts at getting that information hasn't worked. You know, it, either they 
just didn't click, you know, in their minds what I was looking for. Yeah. And so I, I think that resilience, that that ability to just say, you know what, okay, that didn't work. I'm going to back up. I'm going to try it from a different perspective or phrase the question slightly differently and, and, and keep trying because I know I need that information to complete the project or to do it the right way. Yeah. And unless they're giving me what I need, I, you know, I can't give them full value. So I, you know, I think that's the resiliency of a consultant to kind of keep trying. You know, yeah. don't, don't, yeah. you know, don't give up and say, well, I guess they don't know, or, or, yeah. or, you know, I, I guess, you know, we'll just have to guess at that. No, no. I think there's, I, I think there's usually a way and, and, and I've, I've learned that language is a funny thing, you know, and how you and I interpret a question, we might feel like, oh, that question is pretty clear. Yeah. Uh, but then we don't understand the context in that person's mind. We don't understand you know, what's going on or, or how maybe a particular word means something different to them than it does to us. Yeah. And so that's just uh, one lesson I've learned from, from my consulting experience. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I suppose one of the, the reasons I thought I'd ask that and dive into this is like, as you're, as an analyst, as a finance person with the data, you, you feel like sometimes the insights you draw are the truth. And like, so if you mm -hmm. share them and you're wrong, it's like, it's a setback. <laughs> and, and so obviously you have to communicate in the right way. You have to be willing to you know, put yourself out there and then and to say, actually, yeah, I didn't know I was wrong. Like, this is just what I thought, you know? Yeah. And, and I, and I think part of, part of that is just realizing sometimes we have incomplete data. Absolutely. Sometimes we don't have the full context, right? So maybe the audience knows something they didn't share with us at the time. And so if we look back on, you know, if we had that piece of context, yeah, then we maybe would have come to a different conclusion. Maybe we would have made different recommendations, but we didn't have that full context or we didn't have complete data. So yeah. I think, you know, that's also taught me, you know, that, yeah, like sometimes we're going to, we're going to come with a particular perspective and then we, and, and the other thing too is sometimes you have to just run a test. You know, I, that's another thing I recommend is let's not go for the slam dunk. That doesn't mean like, even though our data is showing us that, oh, we need to make this change within the business. Maybe it's like, well, maybe, let's just run a test first. Yeah. You know, let's, let's do a smaller, uh, you know, proof of concept, uh, you know, something to kind of test the idea first. That's going to do one of two things. It's going to avert us having made a big mistake because. Yeah. You know, we made a big bet and, and it cost us or it's going to confirm, oh, yeah, well, this works like this is we're onto something here. So now we have greater confidence going forward that, yeah, this this is going to work. You know, we can make this investment and, and know that it's going to pan out. So if there's if there's the opportunity to do a proof of concept, a test, uh, you know, test out the, the idea first, that I, I see that as a good baby step. Uh, and can prevent some of those, oh, I really missed that. Or we, you know, I, I'm sorry, I, you know, I, I didn't see that factor coming into this. Yeah. But with a test, we can, we can catch those things. And, and maybe even it's like, oh, we hadn't factored that in. Let's change our, you know, you know, our approach slightly. We'll take the learnings from the test or the proof of concept. There's still value there. Now we're just going to make this tweak here and there. Boom. We've got, you know, something that's going to be more viable and more successful. Fantastic. And then last, last, last part of the pod, I'd like to just ask a few questions, just rapid fire. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then we'll wrap up. So a um, couple of questions. If we asked your clients or family 
what your favorite phrase is, what do you think they would say? Uh, if I go with my family, they'd probably say, don't hoe in. Um, that's at our dinner table. Our kids will just start eating, you know, and it's like, <laughs> wait a second. Let's no, no, no. Wait for the family. Let's sit down. Yeah. Uh -huh. you know? anyway, but if it's business, I, I, um, I would say a phrase that I, I, I really, a quote that I really uh, loved and it's in the book. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't feel it's as, as popular as it needs to be, but it's a, a quote from uh, Alexander von um, Humboldt. And he uh -huh. was a German cardiology, uh, cardiographer. And he said, address the eye without fatiguing the mind. Address the eye without fatiguing the mind. Okay. And so that ties into just when you're communicating your data story using visuals, yeah. Yeah. don't make it harder than it needs to be. Make it easy for people to mentally process what you're sharing visually. Uh, so it's just, oh, you know, it's, it's effortless. It's, it's, yeah. it just, it helps to, it helps their mind to process the information, not making it harder, like, you know, yeah. fatiguing to, to kind of go through what you're sharing. What is your favorite chart or visual and why? I'm going to go super boring here. Uh, I like the bar charts just because they're so useful. I find that they're just a very good, safe chart. I yeah. mean, there's lots of different variations that we can, you know, we can modify them in different ways. But it's it's just a, a very good utilitarian kind of chart. You know, again, you're gonna you, line charts and bar charts. I mean, it's kind of it's hard for me to pick between those, but we don't, we're not always dealing with time series, so yeah, I have to go with the bar chart. Love it. Um, what is something that you have on your, I want to learn about this topic in the next 12 months list? Yeah. So one of the things I want to learn about is I'm going to be launching a new course, uh, an online course for my uh, data storytelling. And so I'm looking at different platforms. So I want to, you know, there's different kind of learning platforms out there like Teachable yeah. or yeah. the graphic different platforms. And so that's, that's what I, that's definitely a goal of mine to learn those platforms. And, Cause I, I'd like to have a course that, provides obviously the functionality that I need it to, but then also build a community around that course. Yeah, and right. so that's something I'm looking at launching in, in okay. 2024. Fantastic. Um, that's brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, is there anything that you are looking for help for right now, research or you know, input that, that, um, that the community might reach out and you know, help you out with? I'm always looking for good stories. Uh, so if you have a good story about success or failure with data storytelling, yeah, uh, reach out to me. I'd love to hear them. I, I write for Forbes, and obviously I won't share any confidential, you know, company names or anything like that. But but even if I can anonymously say, hey, I was talking to a finance team at a yeah. retailer, and they ran into this situation. So you know, anything about data culture, data storytelling, I I really love those kind of real stories because those. I, I actually really believe in the power of storytelling, that yeah. it's not just the, the data stories that we tell, but just stories in general. You know, those, they impart meaning, they, they impart learnings, they, they can be humorous. I mean, they're, they're, they're very, um, you know, it's something we share and then it can be reshared. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, any kind of stories, uh, data-related stories, data storytelling-related stories, data culture-related stories, I, I love those. So yeah. keep them yeah. coming. Brilliant. Thanks, Brent. And where, where can people find you? What's the best platform of choice for you? 
Yeah, I, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. So if you, you know, if you're interested in data storytelling, you know, I'm, I'm regularly posting um, topics and, and posts around data storytelling, data culture, data strategy. Yeah. Those are all areas that I cover. And and, and so yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best. I I would have said Twitter, but Twitter is now uh, <laughs> X and. Yeah, okay. I, I'm losing interest quickly in that You're platform. So. There we go. Yeah. All right. yeah. Cool. Well, Brent, thanks so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, Simon.